Welcome. In preparation for our conversation today, I asked ChatGPT about how many independent bookstores there are in the United States. And as of 2021, they said there had been a 35% increase in growth in the American Booksellers Association, which really surprised me. And maybe that's true, maybe that's not. I've run into a bunch of cases where Jet chat GPT was not accurate, but they acknowledged the support of the local communities as a, as an indicator of why that's the case. So we'll talk about that too. We have uh, five guests expected today. Two are from Beaverdale Books and three of the authors whose books they carry. Uh, you know, in this day and age, it's so easy to download a book on Kindle or order one on Amazon. But there's nothing quite like buying a real hardback book and opening the cover and especially having that book autograph, autographed by the author. So personally, I'm delighted that we could have this conversation today. Full disclosure, Beaverdale Books has been on hand at the Okaboji Writers Retreat each year and uh, expected to add uh, one person in addition to Alice this year. I'm looking forward to that. Also, for disclosure, my son Thomas works for Beaver Dale Books. And neither of those facts are why I've invited Hunter Gillum and Jan Kaiser to be with us today. I'm so doggone impressed by what they are doing out of this relatively tiny store in the heart of Beaverdale. They're supporting Iowa authors in creative ways. And I think the readers of my potluck column will be interested in what they have to say. So we only have an hour together and I'd like to start right away with Hunter. Hunter Gillum started uh, working for Bevo Dell Books shortly out of college. I think it was in 2015. And by 2017, he became co-owner with Alice Myers. So Hunter, let's start with you. Did you, when you were growing up, did you, did you think you were gonna own a bookstore someday? Uh, that was kind of the dream, uh, was to do it at some point. And so I was probably going to go to um, get my master's in library science was sort of my game plan. Um, and then go from there. And then I was working at the Iowa City Public Library. And um, I worked alongside people that had their MLSs and were having trouble finding jobs or were having to move clear across the country to get to, to find work and stuff. And so I knew I didn't want to do that. And so I kind of um, put it off and then, um, yeah, moved back home and um, yeah, started asked, just had requested in, um, to talk to Alice about kind of bookstores and books in general and just sort of anything that I would be able to do um, in that kind of line of work. And then um, she called me back a week later and um, then we met and she yeah, offered me a a job. So yeah, I started Fridays and every other Saturdays. And then, it, and it was 20, it was 2022 was my first, was when I became co-owner. So it was January of that year. So it's been just a, over a year of me being co-owner and yeah. So well, congratulations. You are living the dream as they say. I am. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. So, so I think some of us have this idea that owning a bookstore would be glamorous and, and exciting <laughs> and fun. Uh, it, I'll bet you there's an awful lot of work that goes into this. And tell us about that. What do most people not understand about 
what it's like to own and operate an independent bookstore? Um, I mean, I'd say it's a lot. It's yeah, it's it seems a lot more yeah, like laid back, I guess, then, but it's still, I mean, it'd be the same kind of issues that a lot of other small businesses would have to, to deal with. Um, and a lot of it is that just, you know, kind of when it comes down to it, it's, I mean, it's, you know, you're the owner. And so there are things that, you know, I would, I would do, and I feel okay with doing as far as just like, you know, I would never ask my staff to work, um, you, you know, like 14 days in a row, like, you know, going long periods of t time without having a day off and stuff like that. But that's some things with events and other things going on that that happens when you're, um, you know, when you're co-owner and, um, you know, in working long hours, it's kind of the same thing. I wouldn't ask a lot of my staff to do um, 12 hour days or, you know, or sometimes longer, but, um, you know, that's something that I feel like there are times where I have to do it. And so, uh, and I think that's the things that people don't, don't realize. Um, you know, that it's, and then your, you know, your hours are all over the place because it's kind of at the whim of what, what different events and stuff we have going on. So it's no week is this, no week is the same as the one before. So how do you know what to buy? Uh, I mean, a lot of it is just, I mean, there's books, I mean, there's the big bestsellers that, you know, you're going to order. Um, and a lot of people don't realize too, that like I've ordered all through the end of August already. And so um, by about June, um, I'll probably be ordered all through the end of the year. Um, and so it's a lot more further out than what people kind of realize. Um, and so there's times like I will order books and I know I might know that they're coming, but I forget until, you know, you're unboxing the, the new books. And it's just like, OK, yeah, I knew that this was coming, but um, hadn't really thought of it in a while. Uh, but then you also get to know the customer base and stuff. So there's times I've ordered I order books. And sometimes it'll have, I'll have a particular customer in mind when, when ordering it. And it's kind of something that I think that they would, would like. Um, and then of course, looking at what past sales and stuff have been and, and working with sales reps. And so they let me know kind of what, even if it's a debut book where it's like, oh, these are the kind of the books that we think are similar to that one. And you've done well with those. And so kind of try to bring. I have a ton of questions, but I'm also confident that many of the people on our call will have questions of you too. Uh, you mentioned events, and I can't believe how many events Beaverdale Books is a part of. Yeah. It, 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 that's John, Jan Kayser's uh, bailiwick here. Should we move to Jan and tell us about what you look for when you put together an alliance with, a, with an event? Oh my, we just have so much fun. <laughs> we we get contacted by tons of authors and, you know, the store has such a great reputation for supporting local writers and the local writers support us, which is wonderful. Um, they let us know when they have new books coming out. Um, we also get these um they're called author grids from the publishers, which are the big writers. And so Hunter shares those with me. And, and for instance, we were able to see that Jay Ryan Straddle is, has a new book coming out. And so we worked with him and, and he's going to be coming for Avid. We work closely with all the libraries, with um, various organizations. We just had a great time with the Des Moines Book Festival. We um, helped 
put together a lot of panels for that. Last year you did that, Julie. Um, and, and that was fun. Um, we also were part of the Poetry Palooza a week ago. Um, and Alice has such a long history of working with the community and the organizations and the corporations. Um, you know, she, she's just been great. And a lot of credit goes to her for her wonderful support of just the whole literary community. I mean, I got to know Alice uh, when she first opened and she was part of the AVID program when I was still working at the library. Um, and so anytime you would call Alice and say, you know, I've got this author and she'd say, well, we'd be glad to be there, you know? So it, it it's just great fun. Well, Hunter and Jan, I would love it if you two would pick one of our other guests who are authors that have been invited to join this call and do an introduction. And uh, Hunter, I'll ask you first, pick between Jan or Patty or Mike and uh, introduce them as an author that you carry. Okay, I need to get, I guess I'll go with Jan Fried, um, who is also is an author that I knew before she was, was published. Um, and would do things with her um, artwork and stuff like that. And so, um, and then she wrote a book and, you know, knew where to go to, for who to carry it and all of that. So yeah, without further ado, and her book is, uh, is it Breadcrumbs? Yeah, okay. Breadcrumbs, yeah. So, yeah. Uh -huh. Well, welcome, Jan. Tell us about your book. Thank you. Well, this book kind of uh, grew out of my last book. My last book was called Leading with Wisdom, sage advice from 100 experts. And um, I interviewed a lot of people and each uh, the themes that emerged from the qualitative research became chapters in the book. And the one chapter that resonated the most with people was called Leaders Live Their Legacy. And so I did workshops and some speaking on legacy. And uh, I would say, when do we leave our legacy? And people would say, when do we leave? And I'd say, leave what? and leave the earth, leave a job, die. You know, I'd say that's true. But what about when we leave today? Like leave this podcast right now. We're all leaving breadcrumbs. And out of that, then I developed the book and subtitle is uh, how great leaders live a life worth remembering. But I say to people, the most important person to lead is yourself. So really, I think the book's for everyone. And I'm thrilled that Beaverdale Books hosted an event for me. Thank you very much, Hunter and Jan and Alice. Um, and I'm glad that Beaverdale Books carries my book. So how is being a published author different than what your perception was of what would it be like? Well, I'll just say a few things. Um, my Leading with Wisdom book came out in 2013. And that... and. Um, each book I've published had a traditional publisher. If I were to do it again, I'd probably do hybrid and that could be a whole nother podcast. But I, coming out of higher ed, I really wanted a traditional publisher. And, but what I really noticed is between 2013 and 2023, social media has, has uh, plays a much bigger role in trying to get a publisher because they want to know how many followers, how many friends. I mean, they want to know that even though we all know we have to, we pretty much have to sell our own books anyway. The publisher gives you some help. Hybrid publisher would give you some help. 
Um, but social media is just a whole new ball game. It didn't matter in 2013 so much. And in 2023, when I was searching for publishers, you know, it was all about how are, how are you going to market this book? <laughs> so that was kind of a big aha to me. Uh, I was actually kind of bragging that I was not on Facebook <laughs> until I tried to get a publisher. And then it's like, uh, you need to really beef up your social media presence. So now I'm friends with people I don't even, I've never even heard of. <laughs> and, I, and I'm not really excited about that. But um, I, I was able to convince Rutledge, which is they're out of England and New York. I was able to convince them that, yes, I have a following and yes, I can sell some books. So um, that's one thing I would say. That's a big topic at the Okaboji Writers Retreat is, do you go independent? Do you self-publish? Do you try and find an agent? Do you yeah. try and find an author? And I, actually, I would love to give a workshop on that, uh, Julie, because I did a lot of research. I'm part of a group where most people are authors. I could really talk about the pros and cons and, and uh, I, I could do a workshop on that because I did a lot of research. All right. Well, welcome to the call. I'm sure we'll have other questions for you, but let's go ahead and Jan, if you would introduce one of our other authors. All righty. Well, this is this is hard. This is like picking my favorite child. But I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Patty first because Patty is not an Iowa author. I I wanted her on there to show that we get a lot of authors who are passing through, and she's currently on a book tour. Patty has this this fascinating book called The Second Long March about living in China in 1981 and teaching English. Um, and, you know, I was alive in 1981, but I sure didn't know anything about the stories that she tells in her book. And then she returned in 2005 and makes a comparison. So Patty Isaacs, author of Second Long March. Well, great, Patty. Why did Hello. you decide to write this book? Um, I, I, I didn't, um, I should back up a little bit. When I lived in China, life was, uh, conditions were very primitive. There was no place that we could really make a phone call, no long distance calls. There was no internet at the time. Um, we were still living in a, in a very communist world where the government pretty much controlled everything. Everyone worked for the government and there were very few, there were just the very beginnings of a little bit of private enterprise, which um, uh, manifested itself as little farmer's markets at the end of our road. But there was no place to go out. There were, I shouldn't say no place to go out for dinner, but almost nothing. Everything closed by 7 p.m. And so, I was, I realized that I was witnessing this sort of point where society was changing because Mao had died a few years earlier and I knew that, um, and his successor had approved um, a transition to market economy, but in the city where we live, people weren't really adopting that yet. So I just thought I'm gonna take notes. Um, I had always been one to journal my experiences and feelings. And um, I, I didn't have a whole, besides my teaching, I had enough free time that I would spend a lot of time bicycling around the city, sort of seeing how people lived and then taking um, notes. I took copious notes, detailed journals. I filled up about five or six of these little books 
Um, and I didn't really think I was going to write a book about it. I just thought, wow, I'm seeing something interesting. I'm going to take notes. And I also took photographs. And then I went home. I had, um, uh, we had kids. I had a, I started a business. I make maps. Um, I'm a cartographer. And um, when I first came home, I went to graduate school because that's what you do when you don't know what you want to do. Um, and I didn't finish my degree, but I got an internship working for National Geographic. So that, um, that kind of started my career. And then once my kids were a little older, um, I ended up joining a writing group. Um, and I, I was able to join this group based on my Christmas letters that I sent out. Um, I hate those smug Christmas letters where they say, oh, Billy's the captain of his football team. And, you know, where they, they brag about their kids and everything's great. So I'd write these kind of self-deprecating Christmas letters. And two friends that I had were writers and said, hey, we have a writing group. We love the way you write. You want to join. And that's when I decided, oh, okay, maybe I should dust off those China journals and see what's going on. Um, so I started crafting and I really, through this writer's group, I, I learned to write a book. Um, and they also encouraged me, I still had just my old notes from 81 and this, I started this in about 2000 and they were the ones who said, you need to go back um, and see how things have changed. And so that's, that's how this book kind of took off. So what's the process of marketing a book like this? Oh man, it's hell. <laughs> um, it's, I would say the marketing process is, is harder than the writing process. Um, and I think some of that has to do with just the personalities that we may have as writers. Like we, you know, we don't want to go to our horns very much. It's really difficult. Um, but I'm just trying to make as many contacts as I can. I've, um, uh, the reason I ended up at Beaverdale Books is that the um, the developmental editor, I went with a hybrid um, publisher, Atmosphere Press, and my developmental editor, Kyle McCord, lives in Des Moines, teaches at Drake, and does events with Beaverdale Books. So as I was starting this road trip, I, I contacted Kyle and I said, hey, I'd like to see you because I'm going to be coming through Des Moines. And, um, and I, I actually looked, I, I stalked him on Google. I looked at his profile, um, his professional profile, and it said that he sometimes arranged um, events at Beaverdale Books. So I said, hey, you think that might happen? So I, I think marketing is getting out of your comfort zone and just letting anyone you know that you have this book and um, yeah, and, and just, getting over the shyness and the fear of rejection. So Hunter, you have uh, been an avid reader all your life, and now you are in the, the business side of the publishing world. I know that there are people on this call who have attended the Okaboji Writers Retreat in the past and will again and harbor, harbor some dreams of maybe writing that book that they've thought about all these years. What advice as an avid reader and as a publisher and on the business side, what advice would you have for people who are thinking about becoming an author? Uh, I'd say the best, I guess the best thing would be make sure that, I mean, you're doing it for yourself as much. I mean, don't try to make that it's going to be this big money-making scheme. There's not, you know, um, 
because there's just not a lot of money in books. Uh, and so if you're doing it for, you know, yourself and kind of self, you know, sense of, you know, kind of accomplishment, it would be the best kind of mindset to be in. Because then if you if you do make money or you break even, then, you know, it's kind of a, a plus. Um, but that, I mean, that just kind of to manage your expectations, you know, that's so much of, you don't think of writers and stuff like that in the same way that with musicians, but it's just like, it's some element of luck with the ones that, um, you know, that become you know, bestsellers and stuff like that and things that aren't. And, um, and that's the stuff that you just can't, you know, there's no way to, to know. Um, and so I would say, don't let the, let it, let it stop you or hinder you, you know, and there's a lot of other, either, you know, kind of atmosphere and the hybrids and smaller presses and stuff like that, that, um, there's lots of ways to get your book out there. Um, but to not, yeah, don't be bummed out if it does, you know, if it's not, a big, you know, bestseller money-making endeavor and stuff like that. Um, yeah. Funny story. When I, when I did the first writer's retreat I've ever produced, it was in 1992. And I started calling Iowa writers and just said, you know, I'm going to get everybody together at a camp in, in, um, oh, where was it? Wesley Woods. And everybody said yes. And one of the writers I contacted had been a very uh, controversial uh, opinion writer whose work had appeared in the editorial pages of the register. And he was the Dean of the Business College at uh, the University of Northern Iowa. And in this conversation, he said, oh, by the way, I have my first novel published and, and it's doing really well in independent bookstores. And of course, I have that, that uh, belief that nobody can make money publishing books, especially a, a dean of a business college with a first-time novel, and I uh, thought, okay, sure. Well, that book was The Bridges of Madison County by Robert James Waller. <laughs> and by the time, I know, I know, by the time my little writer's retreat came along, I had a line all the way down the driveway <laughs> He, he, to his credit, he kept his agreement to come to the my first writer's retreat, even though Good Morning America wanted to, him to come on that morning. But, you know, it happens. It happens. So just a little hope out there. Jan, why don't you introduce Mike Triggs? Okay. And before I do that, I, I, I would also say that what you do in networking with writers is the other Mo, you know, it's so important because every time a writer asks me, you know, well, I want to write this book, well, then get to know other writers. It's, mm -hmm. it's vital. And look at what they're doing on Facebook and look at what they're doing on their other social media and, and look at what people are saying about them and share your work. Um, I think all of those things and the writer's retreat is a perfect example of that. Well, so, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and now Mike Triggs, um, I had the, I had the pleasure of getting to know Mike and he has this very humorous book. He is just a delight to listen to. Um, and it's called, you can't make this you stuff up. It. You can say it, Jan. This, we're not, well, it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, it's, it's just the little, funny things they're not it doesn't say the word so mike take it away save me <laughs> well 
Well, thank you, Jan and uh, Julie. And, uh, uh, the name of my book is You Can't Make This Shit Up. <laughs> uh, and uh, what I did is I used a Grolix, which is uh, a group of, of symbols. And so it's dollar sign, hashtag, explanation point plus. And I did this because uh, uh, my mother uh, would not have approved if I used the actual word on, uh, on my book. So uh, that's what I've done. And uh, my book is kind of interesting. It's a little different than the other two uh, authors in that um, it uh, starts with my own uh, background in politics and, and it moves into uh, a new job that I had working in uh, retail. As it uh, turns out, I've worked in retail now for almost three, uh, 30 years. And uh, as I went to work in retail, I started to uh, see things happen on the sales floor and I would write them down uh, as I saw them in a, on an index card and I would throw them into the bottom uh, desk drawer thinking that someday I might um, uh, write a book. And it wasn't until the pandemic when I was furloughed from my job at Von Mauer that I actually had the time to do that. And so I thought that uh, it was important to use my time um, effectively while I was uh, on furlough. And so I wrote for three hours a day uh, consistently. And by the end of my three month furlough, I had a manuscript in hand. And during that time, I was working with a writer's group out of uh, Arizona that I would Zoom with every week. And uh, I would certainly encourage others to, uh, to do the same. It's, uh, it really is encouraging uh, to uh, hear other people's uh, opinions and thoughts. And uh, I was able to change the focus of my book uh, quite a bit by uh, listening to those that uh, were more experienced. And uh, my book is uh, hybrid. Uh, I actually, when I had the manuscript in hand, I shopped it around for almost a year with traditional authors and uh, agents. And I kept getting one uh, reject after another. Uh, they would come back with something like, if you don't hear from us in uh, six to nine months, assume we're not interested. Uh, I never heard back from those people. And uh, finally, after about a year, I uh, kind of lost interest. Uh, and uh, all of a sudden, I um, uh, was on Facebook and I saw a, a, a Facebook ad pop up for a hybrid company out of Can Canada called uh, Friesen Press. And so I sent my uh, um, uh, book to our manuscript to them. And uh, they liked uh, what they saw in the first three uh, chapters and asked to read the rest. And, and the rest is history. Uh, I now have a book and it's been out and, and doing quite well. That's great. When you say quite well, by the way, I'm going to be taking pictures periodically. That's what this was. Um, what, does that, what does quite well mean, Mike? Well, I've, I've sold um, uh, quite a few books and uh, I've had lots of response from uh, from friends and family across the country. Uh, it also, uh, it has an LGBT theme that runs through the book. And uh, so I was able to connect with a number of Facebook groups like Gay Men Over 40. And uh, that group has uh, 49,000 members. And uh, they did an interview uh, shortly after my book was published. And uh, the book just took off after that. Um, the sales on Amazon were incredible. Um, it uh, um, was able to be in the, uh, the top 10 list for, uh, for um, three weeks. 
uh, and it came out in January and it's been in the top uh, 50 for uh, over um, two months uh, in this LGBT uh, uh, gay humorous fiction uh, category. Thank you, thank you. We'll come back to you in a little bit, but uh, Hunter, talk to me about categories. How important is it to write and target a book for a particular category? I mean, through, you mean like just through like the kind of Amazon category stuff or just more well, on? I've, I've heard authors talk about, you know, they, they, they've heard that memoir isn't a, a good selling category. So they, so they frame mm -hmm. a memoir such that it can be listed in self-help or it could be listed as a business book or it could be listed as an mm -hmm. ag book or something like that. Talk mm -hmm. to us about that. I mean, I think it's a lot of the category stuff is more on, not necessarily like on our level um, because a book might, like I shove all of, you know, a lot of stuff will have the, you know, when we get it, it'll be listed as, you know, kind of biography first. And then it would be, you know, like a music biography would be kind of the subcategory of that. Um, and those ones I would always move into music. Um, Cause I think that personally that that's where it would go better. Um, and kind of the same thing where it's like, I mean, we take into consideration what the publishers have said for, you know, what the categories would be. Um, but if we think that like on our, like that we think it would do better somewhere in our store, um, we can do that. Um, and we're also kind of in the, you know, so it's more important for, you know, like if you're, how you want to have it marketed, especially if you're going to go to, you know, like it'd be in a library where they would have, you know, so then if they've decided to have it be self-help, then it's going to be cataloged as self-help and not as biography and stuff like that. And so um, kind of where they, you know, and a lot of it's just publishers and they're looking at, you know, sales data and stuff like that. And, um, you know, and then Amazon has it so that it's, um, you know, be more to, to, to give the, you know, more of, to deal with like the algorithm, you know. Um, and so it doesn't affect us on like on our level as much as it does kind of the bigger, um, you know, selling trends and stuff like that. Um, and then it's one thing once publishers kind of discover, you know, that this particular type of book is selling and then it seems like, you know, six or eight months later, it's then it's like you see every publisher is pushing these books like that because they've, you know, it's either they're the trends, you know, that they're all looking at, um, which you kind of notice, but it's not something that, affects me you know kind of on our level as much um yeah jim jim sears has a good question jim do you want to ask it uh yourself and unmute or do you want me to uh read it for you or no you i i got done with my lunch so now i can be on the camera <laughs> good, thank you and my i guess the easy question is what about book banning and that is the subject kind of the broad subject but I know some libraries in particular are struggling with some additional local control on what books they can either have or not have and uh, I know some of you are bookstore people uh, does book banning actually help sales on some books or is it harmful or just in general can you speak about that uh, subject oh, it, it is it's helpful it's uh, it is it is very helpful um and you can almost track like the, the the best example I have is the um, um, there's the anti-racist baby, which is the Ibram X. Kendi's sort of the baby book of the how to be an anti-racist. 
And um, and it was a bestseller when it closer when it came out and stuff like that. But it had fallen off the bestseller list. And then um, the I think it was it, you know one week Ted Cruz was up talking and he was using that as an example of you know the woke whatever um, you know kind of point he was trying to make. And then the next week it was back on the bestseller list. Um, and so and and so that's where it's like almost you know you can look at an instance of them and that's not even them banning it it's just him saying that you know this the suggestion that you know this is what's wrong with um you know libraries and stuff like that um would be enough to drive sales um and then of course all the stuff with the uh, um moss books mouse books um those graphic novels um and we i heard from multiple customers that were buying the books and they had no idea what they were about. Um, but they had the first time they'd heard about them was when they were told that they couldn't read them. And then that was enough for them to go out and, and buy it. Um, and so it definitely, it affects, it affects sales. Um, and which has, you know, the opposite effect of what, um, they're intending to, to do. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, so it's, it's not, I mean, it's not a good thing um by any means but it's you know it, it it translates into sell it which i guess gives you hope um but yeah yeah i even had some book clubs who um decided to look for banned books and then have chosen to read banned books for their book club um just so that they are informed about what the book is about well, Cherie just posted something in the uh, chat saying, how can she get her book <clears throat> banned? <laughs> <laughs> Good question. Yeah, I can't help with that. <laughs> I'd suggest yeah, maybe send it to, I'd suggest maybe send it to Ted Cruz. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What are some of the popular categories in your store, Hunter? Uh, I mean, we do well with like children's books, um, picture books and stuff like that sell really well. Um, we do really well with history um, and kind of biography and memoir and stuff um, to some extent. Um, but yeah, and then, you know, fiction, you know, we, we highlight a lot of that and stuff. And um, but I'd say the, yeah, the kind of the bigger ones would be the kids stuff is we, we do sell quite a bit of that. Um, Jan Fried, you made a, a, a good uh, point. Why don't you speak to that about reviews on Amazon? Well, I've been told that reviews are very important and not only, re and, and, and that even an average or bad review is better than no review. Like if it's all your friends and they say it's five and wonderful, people start getting suspicious, you know, like how, you know, are these really honest reviews? So that's one thing. The other thing that somebody told me is on the Amazon page, you know, you can follow authors and someone said, that's really helpful. So I encourage people to follow you on the Amazon page. Um, so I think that's important. Uh, I'm trying to think of other tips that I've learned, but it is like someone said previously, it's the marketing, you know, it's like, Look at I I it's the marketing that just makes it exhausting. Okay. Even if you have a traditional publisher, because they're on to the next book. So it's always on you to to market the book. And it's it just seems so self-serving sometimes, you know. Um, but you have to strike while it's hot because before you know it, it's cold. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. It's old news, you know. I mean, even if you think your book is timeless and a timeless subject, 
um, it's not new anymore. And so uh, that's what I find very hard. Patty, how about you? Anything to add to this topic? About reviews or about getting banned? <laughs> oh, well, both. I like both. <laughs> well, well, I'm, I'm speculating here. I'm in touch with somebody in China um, who I knew when I was there, and he he works for a, the uh, the provincial translation society, and he is planning to translate my book into Chinese. And I have some concern that it may be banned there, so <laughs> because of because I I try to be diplomatic, but also truthful. Um, so, but as far as reviews, um, I don't really have a lot to say about that. Um, I've gotten good reviews, but not a, not a huge number of them. Um, I'm sort of more learning how to really market and how to expand my, um, you know, my, my exposure. And um, through another author, this was some great um, advice somebody mentioned earlier, talk to other authors. And, I, and um, through another author of mine who writes memoirs, she alerted me to a Facebook group called We Love Memoirs. And they have thousands and thousands of members. And so now I'm starting to um, interact with them. And they've, they've hosted some events where you can um, have a quiz about your book. And then, um, and then the prize is the person gets an ebook. Um, so I've been doing that. Um, and uh, yeah, it's whatever I can do. And actually on this trip, my only official book um, reading was at Beaverdale. But in, as I'm traveling, I got as far as Arizona. I met with um, a friend who's in a writing group and I'm connected up with them, sold a, a number of books directly, and now we'll be helping them with uh, talking about the publication process. So yeah, I, I, I guess it's all about expanding your reach and providing helpful information for people or interesting content. There's a woman by the name of Ann Garvin in Wisconsin um, who started this group called Tall Poppies, and they're, they're women authors, and they've come together, and they have this pact that anytime any one of them has a new book release, they all, you know, they all jump in and blast their social media and that sort of thing, supporting one another. But it's, it's Ann Garvin, and the group is Tall Poppies. And she's very open to hearing from women authors in particular. I'll reach out to her too. Okay. I'm also reaching out to, um, I've found that um, uh, like um, business groups like Rotary, I've got something planned with, with one Rotary club and, and others are telling me, yeah, make those rounds. Uh, because for my topic, um, for any person doing business with China, Getting to kind of know it on a cultural level is important. Um, and then I'm also finding I've got already a couple events planned with um, at senior homes, uh, senior residences. In particular, in Minneapolis, I'm going to places where there are a lot of retired professors and business people living. Uh, and I'm also connecting with the Chinese community. So maybe that's something important, you know, really think about who your audience might be and who would like it and, and target those instead of just a general blast. So Bryce Oakley, I'm going to come to you in just a second. And then Michael Dargan, uh, you've posted some good comments in the um, comments section 
I'd like to ask you to um, talk about what you're posting um, in the in the in the real time chat. But Bryce, let's go to you. Okay. I uh, oh, selected oh. adult materials for the Waterloo Public Library from 2006 to 2017. I also had some librarians uh, working for me who would select areas that they were special at. This may sound crass, but we were uh, very interested in circulation. We wanted to have a, a high turnover rate. Our system was able to track that. And if uh, a, a book wasn't circulating, circulating, we'd look to see if it was actually on the shelf. Am I boring you? No. no. Okay. Because I love this stuff. Uh, and we would actually sit around and, and talk about it. Uh, when it comes to actual selection, we couldn't really read all of the reviews. What we'd do is we'd look at the um, Times bestseller list and a few others. And if we did want to look at reviews, Kirkus was a good choice. And um, But we tended to buy things that had circulated heavily in the past. One of the things I'm most proud of is uh, when I took over, our DVD collection and VHS was mostly things like Nova and uh, travel logs and things like that. I said, we got to stop this nonsense. Uh, let's get some uh, R-rated stuff in there. And uh, I told my uh, uh, selector, uh, Susan, I said, if you don't get a complaint once in a while, you're not doing, not doing your job. And the day that I retired, we had two copies of Bad Santa on the shelf. So we're laughing about it. But uh, attempts to ban books and shield children and perhaps each other from bad things is futile now. Anybody, Everybody has a smartphone. And once they get on the internet, they can get very precise in their pornographic desires. Uh, it's astonishing. So Sherry made a joke earlier. Sherry's my, my spouse. Uh, how can I get my book banned? <laughs> well, that's a good way to spur circulation. That's why I tried to read, uh, uh, oh, what was the name of it? Uh, uh, the Odyssey or Ulysses back in uh, sixth yep. grade. I thought, oh boy, I can get the adult stuff now. And I got Ulysses and boy, was I disappointed. <laughs> but... Uh, Anyway, any questions you have about how libraries select and also importantly, how we weed stuff out? Well, well, thank you. We will see if anybody wants to take you up on that. Appreciate it. You know it. Roy Kanegi? Any of you know Roy Kanegi? No. Somebody their hand. Are you a librarian? I, I worked for the Des Moines Public Library for 20 years. Yeah. Uh -oh. I, know. I hope I haven't horrified you. No. Roy Kanegi is like my leader. All right, let me let me uh, let me shift gears to Bryce here, and anybody else who wants to ask a question. Thank you, Michael. Bryce, you're next. Uh, before I ask Hunter and Jan a question, I want to give a shout out to Mike. Mike Triggs and I have known each other for got to be forty years, Mike. And uh, there must be a political fiction book in you someplace. I would look forward to it. You you're a very humorous person. Uh, I want to ask Jan and Hunter about self-banning of books. I'm a, I lived in D.C. for nine years. I read Kramer books uh, all the time up at DuPont Circle uh, area and, and loved the place. They didn't seem to ban anything. Uh, but 
uh, you know, the classic banning of pornography and that sort of thing. How do how do you sort out what you will not sell, or uh, how do you deal with that particular issue? Your own self banning, if you will. I don't know how to answer that because I don't actually do selection. Yeah, I mean, it's we. There's some stuff that we're. I guess similar to how the, I mean, a lot of the stuff is sort of like kind of freedom. If a, if a book exists and a customer wants to order it, it might not be something that we would carry, but we would order it from that for them. Um, and a lot of that is to just kind of limit the amount of like gatekeeping that would happen with it. Um, and, um, you know, a lot of stuff, especially if it's like political, you know, like we're, you know, in, in Beaverdale, which is pretty well I mean, it was referred to as Obamadale and, you know, so there's not, we don't, a lot of those books just don't do well. And so it's something where it's easy to, to just not carry it because it's not going to sell. And if, if one customer wants to order it, we would be happy to order it, but it's not something that is worth us, you know, taking, using shelf space um, to carry, you know, um, and that's kind of, you know, so a lot of it is just, we get, would be able to get rid of a lot of, of that stuff just based off of what, would would sell and what wouldn't sell um and yeah i mean and a lot of it again it's it's kind of you know if if um customers decide that they're not going to to buy books by a particular author um because of something that the author has has done or said then it's kind of you know eventually that's going to you know lead to it sitting on the shelf and it will be you know would it be returned eventually and you know it would just kind of naturally kind of go out of the well, let me follow. Let me follow up with that, Hunter, if I might, real quickly. Mm -hmm. If an eight-year-old walked into your store and wanted to buy a book that was on a school banned list, would you sell it? Yeah, mm -hmm. that's what I thought, and yeah. you should. Mm -hmm. Of course. Oh yeah. All right. Any other questions? If not, I'm going to go back to the authors. I see no hands up. If you want a question, you don't know how to use the emoji thing for a hand raise, just raise it. Okay, Diana, go ahead. Uh, I really don't have a question, but I do. Uh, I appreciate Bryce giving a shout out to Mike. I would um, add to that because I heard Mike at uh, Beaverdale Books. I too have known Mike for a long time. And uh, he did have me laughing out loud, which I don't do a lot, Mike. So, uh, boy, <laughs> I would have to say <laughs> you are not only a good writer, you are a good uh, talker talking about your writing. So I appreciate that. I, I do want to give a shout out for Beaverdale Books because I uh, have been a fan of Beaverdale Books for probably as long as uh, Alice has been in business. So I saw Hunter through working there and now a co-owner, which I'm delighted about. And I will say, I don't buy a lot of books anymore because I've given too many to Planned Parenthood and I need to give more to Planned Parenthood because I have no place for them. But uh, so I do most of my reading from the library, but uh, Beaverdale Books is the exclusive bookstore for me. If I'm gonna buy a book, I buy it from Beaverdale. I don't think about going anywhere else. Uh, and often I have one on order there now. I go in and if 
uh, Beaverdale Books is always very willing to order one for me if they don't have it on the shelf. And um, I just, I uh, also am uh, very pleased to uh, know Jan Freed and know what a good writer and speaker, uh, dynamic speaker that Jan is. So anyway, this has just been fun for me good. because uh, I know so many people uh, on the group and I just uh, really do believe that we should help our local bookstores. So uh, I'm glad glad we have one in town. I'm glad I can help support it. Oh, great. That's great. Thanks, Diana. Uh, Barry Pyatt has a question. Barry, do you want to ask in real time or do you want me to read it? You're muted. Okay. I don't see you coming on. Oh, there you go. Okay. Go, go ahead. My question is just when do when do bookstores actually buy the books they sell? Um, and I ask that because I've been confused by the fact that they, you know, return books that don't sell all the time to the publisher. And I'm curious, are they getting a refund from the publisher when they do that? Or, they, or do they not pay for them until uh, they sell them? Yeah, so it's, so like I, I would, I place in, like I'll place a, a front list order um, for new books. And um, so those would be, done you know so yeah they'll be starting to call on me here pretty soon about for like all the fall books and so that would run pretty much through the end of the year um but then we wouldn't get the we wouldn't we don't pay for the books until the books then are released so then we you know if i order a book now if, if it doesn't come out until september october then when the book is released then i have usually it's like um you know 30 or 60 days depending on the terms um for when i would get invoiced for the book um and so for, so a lot of times we'll be paying for a book that um, before it would sell, you know, like there's books that we would have, especially because we'll keep a book for, I mean, probably close to six months um, before we would return it for like a brand new hardcover. So those ones would be ones that we would, we would have paid for. And then when we return the book, they give us credit back um, to our account. Great. So, so yeah. I want to. Oh, I want to ask uh, Michael. You have Mike. You have something to say, and so do so does Patty. Let's go with Patty first, and then Mike. Okay. I wanted to say this is um, the the for a self publisher or hybrid publisher. Um, there is a big risk in making your book returnable um, on Ingram because if you have your book, if you if you um, say ship 10 books to a bookstore and um, you get you you get a royalties for that, but then they don't sell, the bookstore can return them and then Ingram will charge you, the author, for the will will want their money back and pay the, and ask you to pay the shipping. So it's really a hard, it's a hard spot for for independent publishers. The problem is everybody, somebody has to take a risk in selling a book if it doesn't, you know, in distributing a book if it doesn't sell. Um, so fortunately with Beaverdale, I was able to get, they were able to sell on, on consignment for me. So I take, a there's a little less of a risk for any of us. Um, but any of you who are thinking of self-publishing or hybrid publishing, be sure to get yourself well um, informed about that issue before you just say, oh, yeah, my book is returnable, because you could end up really losing some significant money that way. Okay, thanks. Good point, Mike. 
Um, I was going to actually, Patty took the words right out of my mouth, but uh, my uh, uh, hybrid publisher had, uh, we talked about the um, having my books returnable, there was an insurance that you can have that you can pay for as an author. And it's at least $500 a year uh, to, uh, to have that insurance. Uh, but um, I, realistically, uh, my book is never going to be on the New York Times uh, bestseller list. And uh, I, I, you know, if I sell a couple hundred to uh, 500 books, um, I'll be happy. And uh, I think that that people have to be realistic about uh, uh, their prospects and be sad, be happy for uh, all that they do sell. Sure. Thank you, Mike. We haven't gotten into the real reality of the book business. Can, can a first-time author break even? <clears throat> can a can a bookstore uh, make a profit? How how do how do the numbers work, Hunter? Uh, I mean, we don't make much of a profit, but, um, you know, it's where we're here. Um, it's kind of the same. I mean, as long as, you know, everybody's getting paid and the lights are on, that's, you know, kind of a win uh, for us. So it's not, you know, again, a big uh, money making endeavor, but it's, you know, you usually are able to, you know, to make it work. So, um, yeah. How do you compete with a national chain? Uh, I think a lot of it is just um, like selection curation. Um, again, like the local authors, a lot of, you know, Barnes and Noble isn't going to give them the time of day. And so, um, and even then when it comes to sometimes um, kind of getting back to, to Patty's, you know, comment about the non like returnable, non-returnable versus on our Ingram's like the, the biggest distributor of books. Um, and, and so, but there's times that people will call us and we'll order a book and they'll say, well, they called, you know, they called Barnes and Noble and they said that they couldn't order it. Um, and, and I don't know why, but I think some of the times if, if an author has it listed as, is non-returnable, they just don't mess with it. Um, but for us, that doesn't, it, it affects events and stuff like that because we wouldn't want to order 25 copies of a book and then be stuck with them. But as far as somebody coming in and ordering a book, if it's non-returnable, we'll still order it for them um, and stuff like that. So. Um, okay. Great. Um, what I'd like to do with um, our remaining few minutes is ask each of the authors to say one last thing about what they hope people would take away from their book. Um, why, why would you want them to buy the book? What's one thing that you think they'll get out of reading your book? And whoever wants to start, raise your hand. Uh, Mike, are you ready to, are you ready to? Yeah, sure. That? Sure. Um, well, actually, I, if I can get people to laugh, uh, I've, I think I've been successful. And that's the one thing that I've heard about my book is that people have laughed all the way through it. And there's uh, engaging characters and uh, uh, um, stories throughout the book, uh, both political and uh, and retail. And uh, that's what I would think that I would want to take home. And as our last word, I would like you to think of one little anecdote that you can tell us in 30, 30 seconds that might make us laugh, but I'm going to give you a minute to think about that. Patty, do you want to go next? Yeah, I would say, um, especially now because there's a lot of tension between, official tension between our governments, the U.S. and China, I would hope that people who read my book will better understand uh, and maybe see Chinese, 
people on a on an individual and personal level and have a a better understanding and not really see them as sort of this monolithic communist threat. Great. Jan, how about you? Yes, I would say uh, my concept of breadcrumb legacy is about, it can be your guiding star, your true north. It can really keep you uh, thinking about making intentional decisions on a daily basis. Great, great. And thank you for, thank you for being here today. Absolutely. Now, what we do at the close of our hour is go into small group breakout sessions for those who can stay for a few minutes. Those of you authors, I'll try and put you in separate breakout rooms so you can meet individually with, with uh, people if you can. And thank you, Hunter, and thank you, Jan, for all you do for, for writers and for readers at Central Isle. <laughs>